Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Hey, LifePoint, so thrilled you're with us here together today online. I know we say together, uh, even though we're not in the same room, but we're together in spirit before the Lord. I hope man, that you were just uh, having an incredible worship moment with God through our, our time of worship through song in these last few moments. Thanks so much to Trevor and his team. It was phenomenal this morning. I had one of those moments myself where I just, uh, in this room uh, all by myself and uh, Rob's back there. He's got that music cranked the way I like it. And, and man, it was just, it was a moment with God and the words that Trevor shared with us and the words of the song, so proud powerful. Uh, we're in the Father's house, and you're even in your own homes, wherever you're at, you're in the presence of God who loves you, and we can have hope, and that's what we're talking about today. Well, I got to tell you, it is, as we've all been saying, it is Christmas time. I don't know if you're excited about it. I hope you are. Man, I love, love, love this season. And one of my favorite parts is the gifts. Anybody like that? Man, I love the gifts, buying the gifts and wrapping the gifts. And yes, I actually wrap gifts, giving the gifts and seeing people's reactions. You know, in our family, we open up one gift at a time on Christmas Day. And there's lots of gifts because we just love gifts. And, and uh, you know, we don't all open at the same time. So it takes a long time for our time. But I just love, love, love this. Now, in a recent survey, people were asked, who are your favorite people to buy gifts for? 70% of the respondents said that children are their favorite people to buy gifts for. Now, take a guess who was dead last on the list of those who your favorite person to buy gifts for at 2% was. Only 2% of the people said this person was their favorite to buy gifts for. Anybody want to take a guess? Yeah, dads, all of us dads. So though nobody wants to buy me gifts, man, I still love this season. Now, one of the words that is tied to Christmas and gifts, especially with children, is the word hope. Say the word hope, hope. Kids, what do they do every Christmas? They put together their what list. What's it called? Their wish list, right? That's their wish list is what they, that they hope that they will get. They're really wishing, they're really hoping they will get this. We had pictures with Santa yesterday here at our church, and it was a phenomenal day. And I just loved uh, listening in as Santa would ask the kids what they wanted for Christmas. And, 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 you know, and hopefully, you know, everybody was listening to hear what it is that they wish for, that they hope they will get. Hope and gifts are tied together. Now today we start a Christmas series called the Gifts of Hope. And we're going to be looking at some of the different gifts that some wise men brought to Jesus and gave to him around the time of his birth. There is hope for you and I that is found in these gifts that we're going to look at. Now, these gifts may not be the gifts that are on your current wish list. You know, these aren't maybe the gifts you're hoping that you get this Christmas. But I can tell you this. These are definitely gifts that we all need. 
Now, I want to give you the context of Matthew chapter 2. That's the story we'll be in today. It's, it's a familiar story if you've been in church, or even if you haven't been in church, you know some parts of the Christmas story. Uh, we're going to be Matthew 2. That's the narrative we're looking at. Now, if you don't know the story, and again, maybe some of you, a lot of you do, Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the reign of King Herod. Now, some wise men, or, or really what they're called as magi, they traveled a great distance to bring Jesus gifts and also to worship him. Now, if you have a nativity scene at your house, if you have a nativity at your house, I want you to raise your hand. Wherever you're at right now, raise your hand. All right? If you have a nativity scene. Now, how, now keep your hand up. How many, how many wise men are in your nativity scene? How many? Right? We all have three in our, in our nativity scene. The question is, is that really true? Were there three wise men? The reality is we don't actually know how many wise men or magi were present there at that time before Jesus. What we do know is that these three specific gifts were brought. Now, the question then for us is, why did these magi come? Why did they come to bring gifts and worship Jesus? Well, if you uh, uh, know any a bit about his ancient history, which I don't suspect that we all do, but there's this great, this ancient Greek historian Herodotus who tells us that magi were a class of priests in the Median kingdom. And at one point, the Magians were monotheistic. At one point, they believed in a one God, and their primary element of worship was with fire. They had this, this fire, this perpetual fire that always burned before their God. They also had another altar. They had that altar, but they had another altar where they would sacrifice an animal that was used from the perpetual flame uh, fire from the other altar. In other words, there were similarities to the Jewish priest and the Jewish sacrificial system. Now, some of you might know the story of Daniel. He, along with countless Jews, were taken captive to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar dies, and eventually you have the Medes and the Persians and, and co who come in, and Daniel finds favor in all of these kingdoms and with all these kings. And Daniel chapter 5, verse 11 tells us this, that King Nebuchadnezzar appointed Daniel chief of the magicians, astrologers, wise men, and diviners. So Daniel is chief over all of these wise men whose religion at one point had similarities to the Jews. I imagine that similarity was the inroad that Daniel used to tell them about the God of the Bible, Yahweh, and to tell them about the eventual rise of their Messiah, of their Savior. It would appear that some of them became followers of the God of the Bible, of Yahweh, and passed down their traditions and their prophecies of the Jewish Messiah that, that originated with Daniel telling them about that. Now, the we reason that they're called wise men is because kings sought them out. Kings consulted with them regularly. Kings wanted their help with interpreting their dreams. It's been said that a Persian could not become king unless they were approved and appointed or crowned by a magi or by the magi. In other words, they were literally kingmakers of the old world who knew the God of the Bible because of Daniel. And now 
hundreds of years later, at the time of Jesus, there are some who are desperate to meet and to worship their Messiah. Now, we want to pick up the story, Matthew chapter 2. And it tells us this in verse 9, the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, Heather and I have three kids, and I got to tell you, we've never received any gold, frankincense, or myrrh. Kind of wish we had, but we haven't thus far. All we ever got when our kids were born, you know, are diapers and onesies and blankets and spit-up rags and the all-important, very important baby snot sucker. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Any of you have that, that particular item? Ours was, I think it was green, I don't know, blue at the time. And you would squeeze this bulb, right? And you would, you know, put it up the kid's nose and you would suck out their snot. And I got to tell you, we were young parents and we were pros at it. Heather and I would have competitions. No, I want to do that. No, I want to do that. We wanted to see who would, who would, you know, who would win the snot sucking competition. No, we really would. Why bring these gifts? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Well, Bible scholars agree that, that these gifts were not only useful for the family, which we'll talk about in the upcoming weeks, but they also foreshadowed some of the images of what Jesus would represent, who he was intended to be. These gifts, these gifts of hope were for this young couple, for the people of Israel, and for the people of the world. Today, we're going to talk specifically about the gift of frankincense. I want to tell you a little bit about frankincense. According to, I reached out to some of my essential oils advisors. I got a few here in the church. And frankincense oil is kind of like, you know, the, the Swiss army knife of essential oils. In other words, it has a lot of purposes. And now, frankincense oil, you ready for this? Frankincense oil possesses antiseptic, astringent, carminative, diuretic, digestive, digestive, amenagogue, cytophylactic, expectorant, sedative, uterine, and therapeutic properties. I've said that all week and I still messed it up. Now, I don't know what all that just, mean, what just, meant, just meant, but that's what, you know, my Magi advisors told me. Oh, by the way, it was also a household cleaner. <laughs> Frankincense was very expensive. It was a gum or a resin from the Boswellian tree. It was one of the key ingredients God instructed the Israelites to use when they made their sacred incense blend that was to be used in the most holy place of their tabernacle or their temple. God told the Jewish priests to burn the incense and that incense created a smoke that rose to heaven in the temple. That smoke symbolized the prayers of the priests rep on behalf of the people of Israel rising in faith to God. It's why Bible scholars agree that frankincense represents the priestly nature of Jesus. Or as we're going to talk about today, it represents Jesus, our great high priest. Now, the high priest represented the people of God, uh, uh, represented the people of God, and, 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 and he had two primary roles. 
The high priest made sacrifices to God for the forgiveness of people's sins. That was the, the first role. They took an innocent animal and they sacrificed it on behalf of the people so that their sins could be forgiven. We talked all about that in a recent series that we called the Tabernacle. Go check it out if you missed any of, any of that series. Secondly, the high priest offered up prayers to God on behalf of the people. So, Make sacrifices and pray prayers. Make sacrifices and pray prayers. That was his role. Now, let's, uh, we're going to go through some stuff, kind of give you some information, but it ties into everything we're talking about, the gift of hope, frankincense, and what that was all about. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about the sacrifice for our sins. In the very beginning, back in the Garden of Eden, you had the holiness of God, the holiness of God and the purity of mankind. Holiness of God, purity of mankind. And then we know the story that Adam and Eve, that they sinned. After that, you had the holiness of God and the sinfulness of mankind. They disobeyed God. So the holiness of God and the sinfulness of mankind. Now here's what's important for us. If we don't understand the holiness of God, then we will always have a casual approach to sin. For example, in our culture today, it's not really acceptable anymore to say that people sin. Sure, we make mistakes. Sure, we, you know, fall short a little. But try to tell somebody that they sinned. I don't sin. Besides, I each, we each have our own truth. Who's to say that your truth is right? I have my own truth. What's truth? So what's sin? Sin's just some ancient idea or ancient word, word that doesn't reflect reality in our world today. And sadly, even Christians have this casual approach to sin. On the other hand, when we understand what it truly means that God is holy, only then can we fully grasp the cost and the tragedy of what sin does to us, what it costs us, and what it does to us. Now, the word sin that we talk about means, means to be separate from God from a holy God. God is holy. What does that mean? Holy is the Greek word hagios, which means separate. It means other. It means different. What is God? God is transcendently different. God is transcendently separate. God is perfect in every single way. He is flawless. He is pure. He has no fault. There's no wrong in him. There's no stain in him. In fact, holiness is actually the perfection of all of God's attributes. In other words, his power is holy. His glory is holy. His grace is holy. His mercy is holy. His, his everything about him is holy. It's God's holiness, his otherness, his separateness, his purity that makes him worthy of praise. Our, our challenge is that God is holy and we're not. None of us are holy, not one single one of us. Not me, not you, not that nice person you work with, not even my sweet COVID-infected mom. You know, God bless my mom. Even she's not, by the way. Thanks to you, all of you who have been praying for her. She's, uh, you know, on the mend and finally getting better and making some progress. Scriptures teach us, Romans 3.23, that we've all sinned, that we've all done wrong, that we've all fallen short of God's holy standard. And our sin, that breaks our connection, our connection with the holy God. It's why God hates sin. 
Because sin disrupts our intimacy with God, our fellowship with God. Sin separates us from God. It destroys our life. That's why God hates sin. So you have the holiness of God and you have the sinfulness of mankind or humankind. Again, little recap here. You have frankincense. It's a gift that the Magi brought to Jesus. Scholars agree that Jesus represents the priestly nature or Jesus being our great high priest. And so you have this high priest. Once a year, he would make a sacrifice as a temporary payment. Say that, temporary. As a temporary payment for the sins of the people. On that special day, it was known as the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. And on that day, the high priest would take two goats, one to be sacrificed for the people. His blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat, which was right above the Ark of the Covenant inside the Holy of Holies. The other goat was used for what we refer to or what we call the scapegoat. You've heard that term. This is actually where it comes from. So what the high priest would do is he would place his hands on that scapegoat. Uh, He would place his hands on its head. He would confess over it the rebellion and the wickedness of the Israelites, of all of their sin. He would then send that goat out with the appointed person. And that person would drive that goat out away from the city into the wilderness, ultimately pushing it off a cliff to make sure that it died. Symbolically, this scapegoat, which was, you know, run out of the community, symbolized that our sins have been separated from the people of God for another year. But they were clean, so to speak. Now, I don't know about you, when you hear all that, isn't that just weird? I mean, if you hear that, especially for the first time, I mean, you take a cute little innocent animal, you slit its throat, blood pours out into a bucket, you take it into the Holy of Holies, you pour it on the mercy seat, and then you pray. I mean, that's just really weird. And then you take a second animal, you drive it out in the wilderness, and you push it off off a cliff to die. How strange, how bizarre. Here's what we have to understand. Because God is holy, right? We mentioned that. Because God is holy, which means he is completely just. He must punish our sin. A price must be paid for our sins. He has no choice because he's perfectly holy, which means he's perfectly just, which means there must be a price paid for our sins. But here's the cool thing about God. He's also merciful. And here's the beauty of what God does. God allows an animal to pay the price for our sins so that our sins can be forgiven. The sacrifice of that animal satisfies God's justness, God's holiness. Because again, his his justness is perfectly holy. Now, this whole sacrificing of animals that God instructed the Israelites to do, it was always meant to be temporary. It was just a temporary covering. God would one day bring a new and better way. What we know of this new way, what we call the new covenant, a better sacrifice. And that's where I'll I'll have you turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And it tells us this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. For God's will was for us to be made holy. Say holy. That we'd be made holy. Remember, we're not holy in and of ourselves. We've fallen short, but it's God's will for us to be made holy. Now, how are we made holy? Hebrews tells us, by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ, once for all time. 
Verse 11, under the old covenant, the priest stands. Notice what he does. What does he do? He stands. He stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. See, they were only a temporary covering for our sins. They weren't permanent. It was a temporary covering. Verse 12, but our high priest, which is Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Jesus, as our great high priest, offered his own life, shedding his innocent blood, which covered our sins. Now catch this. Satisfying this justness of God, this holy, perfect, complete justness of God, but also simultaneously extending mercy to those God loves. Now, something else is kind of interesting that I want you to notice. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12 says this. Uh, again, it says, after Jesus offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time, then he, and notice what it says. It says he sat down. Say sat down. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. In the Old Testament, look at verse 11. The old, it said this under the old covenant, the priest stands. What did the priest never do in the temple? The priest never sat down. They were always offering the sacrifice. Number one, number two, there just weren't any chairs in the temple, right? So they never sat down. Their work was never done. But what did verse 12 tell us? It tells us Jesus sits down. Now, what does this mean? Jesus is saying, I'm the final sacrifice. It's done. It's finished. I'm pulling up a chair. I'm sitting down. That part of my role is done. Now, what else is interesting about this whole imagery here? Only two people were allowed to sit, you know, at the right hand of a king. Only two people. The general in charge and also in these particular cultures, also the magi. In other words, those who were the closest advisors to the king, they were the only one who could sit at the right hand of the king. Now, this is interesting. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Lord. His work as Savior is finished, but he'll continue his work as our intercessor, as our advisor, advising God of, of what's going on with us, of our circumstances, of our situations, advising God of what's happening with us. He's our go-between, between us and God. By the way, that's exactly what Job wanted. He felt so alienated and isolated from God with all of suffering. And some of you are in that state. Man, you're suffering and you're, you just feel like, man, I, I feel isolated from God. And, and you know Job's feelings when he cried out, Job 9.33. And this was before Old Testament and this is before, you know, Jesus. But he said this, he said, if only there was a mediator between me and God, someone who could bring us together. That's Jesus. He's our mediator. He's our go-between. He's our middleman, so to speak. That's who Jesus is. He's our middleman, bringing us together with God. Here's what's so amazing. He's not just some distant savior who just feels sorry for us. No, no, no. He's our high priest who understands and he cares Hebrews chapter four, verse 15 says, this high priest of ours, Jesus, he understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. 
Whatever you're going through, you need to know Jesus understands. He relates to our trials. He sympathizes with our struggles, with our weaknesses. He understands you. Jesus understands you. Seriously, he does. If you feel stressed out right now, you need to know. If you feel overwhelmed, you need to know. Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane. His friends had abandoned him. He knew what was coming, the cross, and he fell to the ground. He said, my soul is overwhelmed in agony to the point of death. He knows what it feels like to be stressed, to be overwhelmed. If you face anxiety, listen, Jesus, he understands that. If you deal with crazy people in your family, Jesus totally understands that. He dealt with that in his own family. I mean, it's almost like it's a spiritual principle, right? Every family has crazy in it. In fact, do this. No matter where you're sitting right now, raise your hand if there's somebody in your family who's a little bit nuts. Come on, raise your hand. Now... Uh, point to that person. No, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. But for those who didn't raise your hand, just got to tell you something, what your family's thinking about you right now. No, no. <laughs> when Jesus said, I'm the Messiah, man, his brothers didn't believe him for a second. What are you nuts, brother? You're crazy. If you think about how much Jesus understands you, that's when you can know how much he really, truly cares about you. Think about all that Jesus went through. We've already talked about some of it. Some of it. Jesus was conceived out of wedlock to a teenage mom. I mean, that would have been scandalous. He was raised in a small town where everybody knew your name, where everybody whispered about him and said, that's that little bastard boy. Seriously, that's what he would have had to put up with. Jesus lived in poverty. He was criticized. He was ridiculed. He was bullied. He was tempted by the devil again and again and again when he was at his weakest and most vulnerable moment. Yet the Bible says he did not sin. Jesus experienced the close death of a friend and even his cousin. He was accused of things he never did. He was called things he never was. His friends betrayed him. Worst of all, he felt abandoned by God on the cross. He wasn't, but he felt that way. And that's why he cried out in agony, my God, my God, where are you? If you've ever felt like, you know, I just, I don't feel like I can sense the presence of God. God, where are you? Listen, Jesus sympathizes. He understands exactly how you feel. I want to tell you what Jesus is doing right now in heaven. Oh, first of all, I'll tell you what he's not doing. He's not sitting in heaven going, stinks to be those guys, stinks to be all of them. No, that's not what Jesus is doing. He's our high priest who has experienced all the pain of being in this human body. He's experienced all the emotions that we have experienced. He's experienced these emotions of being rejected by others, family, friends. The agony of hurting and feeling alone, feeling abandoned, feeling stressed out. And so when you wonder, does God understand me? Does God hear me? Does God listen to me? Does God even know I'm here? Does he care about me? The answer that we see through the Magi's gift of frankincense is yes, he absolutely sees you, knows you, hears you, cares about you. We have Jesus 
our great high priest. He understands you. He sympathizes with you. He gets you. So yes, you can have hope this Christmas. Yes, you can be hopeful. You can, in fact, come boldly before our gracious God, and you don't have to be afraid, Hebrews 4.16 says. And when you come, Hebrews 4.16 says, when you come to him, he will give you mercy. Why? Because his justice has been satisfied because of Jesus. And what we will find in our high priest Jesus, Hebrews 4 says, we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. And you have a reason to be hopeful this Christmas. You have a reason to be hopeful. We're gonna pray right now, and this is gonna be an extended prayer time, so I don't want you to tune out yet. I don't want you to, we still have more time to worship God through song, and we're gonna go before God. I'm gonna ask everybody, wherever you're at, if you would, unless you're you know, walking or riding a bike or, or, or you know, on an elliptical or something where you can't, Unless that's you, for everybody else, I ask that you close your eyes. And you're going to have a moment right now to spend some time with God. And you talk to him. And I'm going to guide you through this time. So let's pray together. Again, don't tune out. Let, this is, it's not just hearing this. It's your time, you and God, and going before him. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you that we have Jesus, our great high priest, who sacrificed his life for the forgiveness of our sins, who helps us in our time of need. Thank you, Jesus, for this incredible gift. Thank you for the gifts of the Magi that remind us there's hope in the gifts. There's hope because Jesus is our great high priest. Jesus, you're going to hear a whole bunch of people lift their hearts and voices to you right now. So I want to invite you to take a moment and this is your time to talk to your heavenly father. He cares about you. He understands the details of your life. So I'm going to guide you through this time. Again, I'd encourage you just to listen to my voice. And you talk to God. Have your eyes closed if you would. There's some of you who you have a loved one who's far from God. I want to encourage you right now. Just say their name. Just whisper their name. Take this person before God. Understand that Jesus is interceding right now for that person. He's praying for them even now. Jesus, in this moment, your high priest is your savior. Take the person before God. If you're struggling financially and things are really tight right now and the expenses are, are, are rolling and, and it's Christmas time and you're thinking about that, listen, Jesus understands. He knows what you're going through. So just tell him right now, Tell him, Jesus, I'm afraid. I'm hurting. I need you to provide. Jesus is your high priest. He is your provider. If you're hurting emotionally, Jesus cares about you. So right now you come before him, you say, Jesus, I'm casting my cares upon you. You've been there, Jesus. You know what this hurt feels like. You understand Jesus is your rock. You or someone you love is struggling physically right now, maybe in a really drastic way, and maybe medically it's bad news. Then cry out to Jesus, say, Jesus, you are my healer. Jesus, please heal. Maybe you're battling with anxiety. 
cry out to Jesus. Listen, Jesus is your peace. He will give you a peace that transcends all understanding. Say, Jesus, I'm anxious. I'm struggling. God, be my peace. Give me peace. Maybe you're tired or overwhelmed or exhausted. Maybe right now you don't feel like you can hold it together, that you're just completely weak and you even feel, and maybe you've even said it, you say, you've said, I'm broken. Listen, Jesus is your strength. So tell him, say, Jesus, I'm broken. I'm so weak. So God, would you give me strength, be my strength. And then there's some of you who still need Jesus as your savior. I mean, you go to church, you're listening to this or watching this, you kind of believe, but you're not sure everything that you believe. Let me be as clear as I can. God loved you so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, who died on a cross for your sins, satisfying the justice of God. And he rose again from the dead so that anybody, and that includes you, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if that's you, you say, yes, I need Jesus. I need his grace. I need his mercy. I need his forgiveness. I'm gonna invite you to pray with me right now to pray these words. It's not even the exact words. It's more you would mean it in your heart. Let's pray this together. Pray, Jesus, I surrender to you. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. Jesus, I need your mercy. So I lay my life before you. Come into my life, be my Lord, and be my Savior. Jesus, thank you for saving me, for giving me hope, for giving me a new life. My life is yours. In Jesus' name I pray. God, hear every single heart's cry who have been praying to you right now. God, you remind us today you're our high priest, the great high priest. You love us so much. And so we thank you, God, for this message through the Magi, through this gift of frankincense. So Jesus, I just ask and pray you keep doing what you do for us. We're grateful for this incredible gift you give us. We worship you and we lift this song now, even God to you in praise and in worship. God, would you be exalted in Jesus name we pray, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.